The Perfectly Generic podcast contains spoilers, occasional adult language, and Vriska. You've been warned. If you don't like how I pronounce Calliope, this episode is going to suck for you. Welcome to the Perfectly Generic Podcast. I'm Kate Mitchell. My guest this week is Becca at Lauravora. Becca, how you doing? It's been a couple of minutes of stress, but we're here now. Yeah, we're on the th- we're on the we are on the third attempt at recording this podcast um, due to what I have to describe as just blatant homophobia by the internet yeah. infrastructure of your school. Yeah, and now I'm in the scary D and D bathroom. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a room with with the, with the word D and D and a lot of very intimidating equations on the wall. Um, <laughs> I think we're ready to get started for real this yep. time. Um, so usually yep. we start out this podcast with a discussion of the week in Homestuck. Um, jack shit happened this week. Uh, no friend yep. sim came out. There was no news from what pumpkin on anything. Uh, so, you know, next next week's episode, we will talk about whatever the next friend sim is. Holy shit, I hope it's Lank. <laughs> oh my god, please. He has it, the same sign as me, and I love him, and I would die for him. Yeah. That's it. Please give me Marcy or Lank, and make either of them date Tizius. <laughs> please! <laughs> That's my personal request. Right, so now, uh, now that we've gotten the week where nothing happened out of the way, uh, let's talk about you and your story with Homestuck. Uh, Becca, you had a number of attempts at getting into this webcomic, as I think is common. It's got a bit of a barrier to entry. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I have... I made three attempts, uh, the last one being the successful one, but what makes me mad is that the first time I tried reading it was in 2013. So I could have experienced a lot more of Homestuck culture. If I had just read it that first time, but I made it somewhere in the middle of near the end of act one, I think. Uh Um, And then my computer got a virus and I forgot all of my tabs that I had open because I am a horrible person about tabs. I will have 40 tabs open at once. It's very bad. Um, And so I just completely forgot about it for two years. Then in 2015, I tried again. I got at least to Dave's intro. And then something happened. I don't know. I was liking it that time, too. Um, and if you look on the mentions of Homestuck on my Tumblr, you will actually see in April of 2016, I made a post. I was like, oh, huh? Homestuck is ending? Uh, good luck to the fandom, I guess. I tried reading it a couple times and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just like, there's... And then in 2017... I saw on Twitter, um, posted by my friend Hexy, who is great, um, screenshots of that time near the end of Homestuck where Dave goes all off about toxic masculinity for like thousands of words. And I was like, wow, this comic seems so woke. I need to read it right now. Uh-huh. And of course, it's not. It's <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, it's not. And, and, uh, you know, there's, there's very, there are very few works whose like opening chapter is as unrepresentative of the rest of it as Homestuck is. Um, oh yeah, I'm under the impression now. I I'm only a little bit of the way into the Adventure Zone podcast myself. Oh my god! But since people I'm keep so talking about it like it's an emotional experience, 
And I'm just it sitting really here is. like, like these guys are just fucking around. How does this turn into that? And that is exactly <laughs> the Homestuck Act 1 experience. Yeah, um, that's why people keep saying it's Homestuck and Griffin McElroy keeps getting confused. He's like, I don't know what Homestuck is. Also, I feel like I should mention that right now on the D&D board, I am drawing the Smurf logo, so... <laughs> that's a thing that's happening. You know, it's the nature of humanity is that every few years somebody accidentally reinvents Homestuck. I mean, you know, that is one of the most iconic things that has been posted on the internet. I love that post. It's true, and it's you know, John Boy did seventeen thousand seven hundred and seventy six, uh, which was frequently yeah. compared to Homestuck, and he'd never even read Homestuck. Like he'd never read Homestuck before. Griffin made Griffin made a Homestuck like piece of media while while maintaining oh, yeah. a, a fervent ignorance of of it. Um, there's even a point in the adventure zone where Grand Griffin pulls a random number out of nowhere. And it just so happens to be the number 413. And I was so ready to call BS. I'm that's like, bullshit, you definitely read Homestuck. All right. You, you know what? You just made me into a Griffin McElroy has read Homestuck truther. That's our new conspiracy yes! theory. Yes! <laughs> if the truth is out there, people, <laughs> Griffin did 413. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Okay, Friska did track. nothing wrong. <laughs> I hate it, but also it's great. It is great. See, again, like, I, I, I'm not fully familiar with the Adventure Zone yet, but, but Taco Voice, Friska did nothing wrong, might be where we peaked as, like, an internet society. Yeah, honestly... It, it's pretty great. Uh-huh. Somebody has left a small Bible in the scary D&D bathroom. All right. Well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're, we're ready. I don't know what's going on in here. This is, this is, this is a really, this has a, this has a really unsettling vibe. Welcome to the, <laughs> welcome to the first episode of the Perfectly Generic Podcast, where somebody gets involved in a true detective-style, like, murder cult pl- plot in the middle. <laughs> We've got two threads going. We're going to try to talk about Homestuck while more mysterious artifacts appear around you. Um, so after you read it in 2017, um, you did it all at once, right? Yes, I did. It took me about two months, and I read it during finals, which was a mistake. Huge mistake. Because the only time I had time to read it was between the hours of 11 and 2 in the morning. So, like... 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. That was the only time I could read it. And, like, my Twitter, I was searching through all my mentions of Homestuck, and I was, like, constantly complaining. Like, when the alpha alpha kids were introduced, I was like, these children type too bright colors. Please make them stop somebody. (laughs) You were just a grouch about it. Because it was the middle of the night. These children type in neon. Please make them stop. Because I would be reading it in a dark room. So, it, sorry. Uh, so, so we've talked about uh, we've talked about the dichotomy between being a live reader and being a archival reader a lot on this show. Um, so, you're another archival reader who did it all at once. Um, yes. Are you satisfied with the ending of Homestuck? I feel like, from my perspective of reading it, when I did the whole retcon arc made a whole lot more sense and it people complained about it a lot. But when I was going through it, I was like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, it just made a whole bunch more sense to read it archivally that way. 
Um, but I do really wish that I had been around for like somebody typing the word update with an eight and it being true, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's part of why I think like the hive swap friend Sims are so exciting is that they're coming out, you know, they're still coming out. We're getting interesting lore and they're on like a regular schedule. Um, yes. you know, here in 2018, like it still feels like we're getting, I mean, we're still getting like new content and new really quality content delivered to us. Um, yeah. While still having the main story resolved of Homestuck. Um, mostly, mostly we, and you know, I'm a, I'm an epilogue optimist as we've gone on about, <laughs> I I'm believe- going to say this, uh-huh. wait, I'm going to say this right now. My bet for the epilogue is 413 of next year, 10 year anniversary, please hussy. Yeah, that's my guess as well, but I'm trying, I'm not going to. I'm trying not to build expectations around that, um, yeah. because you know, if you if you start hyping something up based on absolutely no evidence other than it's a significant date, and then nothing happens, uh, then oh, yeah. then like people get mad totally unjustifiably. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, Homestuck is one of the most productive works of internet media ever, maybe the most. Uh, it's so good, I love it. Uh huh. And so you know, I think it's not unreasonable to be patient while waiting for more considering just how much content there was um Mm -hmm. so let's move into the main topic for this episode uh this is the calliope episode uh this is the episode where we talk about the best girl or one of the one of the top contenders for best girl um in homestuck Uh, that's a typical reader question that we get for every for every guest who is best girl and your answer is calliope yes Yes, and I was the one who sent it in for the girls' episode. <laughs> I think the, the asker becomes the askee. Yep. <laughs> um, so, what? Before we get into like the individual topics on Calliope, like, what made you feel like a connection or affinity for her? Well, she is probably the most like respectful and good representation of people in fandom in their own, like, media that they like. Because Calliope, with all her cosplay and her fanfics and her art, and she, she's so, such a nerd, and I love her so much because I relate to that so much, as I have done all three of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so she's presented... Um, you know, Homestuck is a work that had a lot of give and take with the fans. Um, oh, yeah. It was remarkably accessible for a work of its popularity. I mean, you know, it, it started with people straight up determining where the story went in a stupid forum-based way, um, mm-hmm. but then moved on to people determining where the story went in a stupid discourse-based way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Calliope is is absolute, and it would be so, so easy to make that kind of character, like, hostile. To make it a, oh, yeah. like, look at you guys being so silly. Like, you know, oh, like, stop, God, yeah. you know, stop, stop being so embarrassing about my comic. But instead, like, Calliope, yeah, Calliope is, is like an illustration of the best things about being a fan. You know, the empathy and compassion that come with really enjoying a work of literature um, and also it echoed, I feel like Calliope's whole art was echoing of how fans really started shaping Homestuck because she had such a huge outcome on the plot 
And it was really like, if you take it symbolically, like the fans defeated Lord English, that's kind of awesome as hell. Yeah, it is. So, it is extremely cool. Um, and you look at, and honestly, I think the, like, what a, a lot of uh, people who are like angry and mean and kind of sexist weren't expecting was that the story ended up making that character that was about shitty fans into like the shitty boy. Like, oh, yes. because you can't, you can't boy. talk about Calliope without talking about Caliborn. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, because man, he's just a really awful boy. That's just a, that's just, oh, a, yeah. that's just a gross boy right there. Um, boy. <laughs> but you know, like, like Caliborn is that character is, you know, Caliborn is the character that looks at somebody like Calliope and says, oh, that's cringe. Right. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> like Caliborn is the people that were, you know, beating up on a significant portion of the Homestuck fan base, right? For their, for their shipping or their cosplay or their, you know, their emotional investment in the story. Um, oh yeah. yeah. And 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 I I felt I feel like that is part of the reason that I really liked Calliope because I have experienced a lot of that, like people in my life telling me this is so stupid that you love these things so much and i'm like nah i think i'm gonna do anyway i think i'm gonna do that anyway yeah exactly so that was what part of what also endeared me to her so much she is best girl yeah (laughs) um so so yeah so she's like a she's you know one of the very rare positive portrayals of that fan culture that i've seen um Mm -hmm. And, and it does give you, and I think, you know, I think she's a real, like, way in, uh, to empathizing with the, like, total turning on its head that the story does at the halfway point, where it introduces this whole new set of characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So let's move on to, uh, next bullet point that we wanted to talk about. Uh, we had a few people ask this question, uh, so... Homestuck is a story that involves characters in a lot of different scenarios, right? Different versions of characters in different places and and how that changes Mm -hmm. them. Um, You know, you see it with the, with the before and trolls versus the ancestors, like how are they different depending on the environment that they're in? Um, Mm -hmm. You see it with the way that characters are different between the retcon and game over timelines. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's probably no, character that's a better illustration of this like issue of nature versus nurture in homestuck right like what defines a person than mm-hmm. the alternate version of calliope the the muse of the fully realized muse of space uh that we meet near the end of the story and that orchestrates lord english's apparent demise um yes you know what what are your feelings on that like what does what does the alternate Calliope say about Calliope's character and her environment? You know, I feel like this was a very hard part of the comic for me to parse. Like, I hmm, I really did not like it when Alt-Calliope started going off about space players have to be lonely. Because I, I just felt like that was a little bit taking the concept of space being like vast and huge and awesome um, and just taking it sort of in the wrong direction by saying like oh there is so much space therefore you have to be lonely I really didn't like that part but I did feel like 
um, Calliope, the alternate Calliope, was supposed to talk about how um, you need to have positive influences in, in your life. Like um, uh, normal Alpha Calliope had uh, the, the Alpha kids, and so she was able to sort of gain this concept of humanity and more empathy than Alt Calliope was since she grew up without any of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it is interesting to, to see how isolation can make somebody so disaffected. And, and that is a mirror to the story that, you know, that, that Jade had, of course, and they interact near the end. Um, now, personally, I think that the comic actually doesn't explicitly state whether she's right about space or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's quite biased. You know, the alternate Calliope is quite biased in that perspective, never having had meaningful social connections. Um, yeah. And, you know, structuring her whole existence around this weight for this one role. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it's... I I, uh, I think a lot of people get frustrated with that part of the story because they feel like it is the story making an explicit moral judgment about what space is. But I think it's just another perspective. Um, yeah. And you look at Kanaya's story and you see... There is no theme of isolation there whatsoever, right? Like, she started Absolutely. isolated, but ended up being, you know, having some of the closest social connections and, and you know, themes of, of love and motherhood and, you know, really tight interpersonal relations um, as an example. And, you know, there's there's nothing that says that Calliope, that, you know, alternate Calliope is right, Um just because she is old and powerful. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, that is a, that, I think that's a common theme of Homestuck is that the story does not draw a lot of explicit moral judgments. It doesn't tell you whether or not its characters are right or not. It sort of leaves that to you. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about it because we still risk coursing after nine years of the comic. We really so. are. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just, I love stories that give the readers the chance to interact with it in that way and try to figure these things out for themselves. That's like one of my favorite parts of Homestuck. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a, it's a work I've described it to people as it's a work that you get out of it exactly how much effort you put into it. That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> you know, if you just click through it and you, like, enjoy the funny jokes and the pretty animation, then that's fine, and you had a good time. But, you know, it, basically, every minute spent thinking about Homestuck is productive towards a deeper understanding of the work and its themes, um, which is why you can have, like, a podcast about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for instance. Yeah, or, you know, write reams of fic or create entire fan adventures or, you know discourse yeah. endlessly about Vriska or <laughs> or any other subject. But um, mostly Vriska. Uh-huh. Uh, so the cherubs in the story introduced us to another, to an addition to the class system. Um, mm-hmm. The master classes of Lord and Muse. Um, what, in your opinion, is the role of the Muse? What is a Muse in Homestuck? What is, what is the muse as a class do? Uh, I am not great at class specting all the honest, but, (laughs) um, 
Hmm. I probably should have looked at that Google Doc a little closer because I didn't see this one. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I feel like that's another part of Homestuck that you have to like put in the effort to do all this research on the class spec system and do all these analyses where you like look at, oh, this is the phrase for this class and mm-hmm. it means you can see in these characters it means this and this characters it means this. But I think that's one of the reasons that the master classes are so hard to analyze because you don't have multiple characters in the same class. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, when you look at uh, the pages, you can easily tell, like, oh, this is what they do. You can see between Jake and Tavros, like, okay, so they're always sort of, like, underdog classes, and that's explicitly stated a whole bunch of times. But you can see, like, their outlook on the world, sort of. Mm-hmm. So that that makes Muses really hard to look at, because there's just Calliope. Right. And you have Calliope in both incarnations, at least. Um yeah. And so you can see two different roles, uh, which is one lies in wait for a moment of orchestration. Um, but the other, mm-hmm. you know, the one embodied by, quote, our Calliope, right? The main story's Calliope is yeah. really interesting because rather than lying in wait, rather than not having any influence at all, as, as the description of the class's most passive would be, um, instead of, you know, fighting and stabbing things and doing magic, like, she has a social impact on the story, right? She's an important yeah. guide and friend to the alpha kids. She assists them in their quest, uh, and also mm-hmm. just serves as a social rock for a, like, complicated group of teens with complicated problems with each other. Yeah, all those feelings and emotions and problems. Big, um, big and, feelings. <laughs> and another thing with that Calliope did was her role in helping the creation of the Matriarch, which I thought was very good for her because it tied her in with Kanaya's arc as another space player. So it sort of further ties this idea of space is with people and it's with motherhood. And I think that is such a good theme to have. Absolutely. I really love it. Absolutely. And I you know, I think that can be taken as sort of a possibly a refutation of what the alternate Calliope said. You know, the alternate Calliope even said she didn't understand what living meant. You know? Yeah. It's I, it's and you see uh you see Calliope, you know, playing this crucial assisting role, right? She's a support. She's yeah. she, she's she's a social healer. She doesn't physically bring people back to life, but she socially helps people become their best selves. Yes, and segueing with that, Roxy. Yes, Cali Roxy is real. Cali Roxy, Cali Roxy, Roxy is real and canon Homestuck. and my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I love her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I would argue that, you know, I, I, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, um, but it's, if you do not read that as a genuinely, like, as a romantic arc, I'm genuinely concerned for you. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you doing uh-huh. if you don't see that? What yeah. did you read that I didn't? <laughs> Especially, I mean, Roxy, 
when receiving the ring of life explicitly says I'm going to give this to somebody I want to marry. I'm going to give this to somebody I want to marry. And then Roxy puts a ring on it. She does. (laughs) And then people to this day are denying that they have any romantic relationship. And Uh I don't understand. Uh And and Roxy repeatedly, like, like doesn't stop for five seconds talking about how pretty Calliope is. (laughs) Like... And See, Calliope says the so exact same thing about Roxy. Repeatedly. They're so in love. Oh they my are. God. They're in love and it's just canon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and uh, so in regards to Roxy, that actually reminds me of um, something else that I wanted to talk about, uh, which was something I've talked a little bit about on Twitter before, um, which is... You know, when you, we see Calliope introduced, she's cosplaying as a troll, right? And she appears as that to other people in the dream bubbles. And she explicitly states that she finds her own appearance to be hideous, right? Um, mm-hmm. She is very unhappy with her own presentation. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, in a in a story that doesn't lack for queer themes, uh, I think it's easy to argue that... You know, while not a literal representation of like hu- the human transgender experience, because duh. Oh yeah. Um, it is dysphoria, right? It is. It is a calliope trans. Calliope fact. trans, big big fact energy. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's I think it's important to understand that like somebody doesn't have to be a literal human with a literal human conception of gender to like have a trans narrative. Um, yeah. She's, like, very explicitly transcoded in the way that I read her. Yeah. And because there's just so much. And I can't, like, put it specifically into words because that isn't, like, my experience to speak for. But she is, she definitely has big trans energy. Right. And, you know, like, <laughs> you know, she's she's someone who is sort of confined by her relationship to masculinity and re her brother. Uh, oh, Absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, like, that is, she's literally chained by it. Um, And in being freed of that chain, uh, she is, you know, she becomes a fulfilled and happy person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, starts to make inroads towards being comfortable with presenting her own appearance to other people. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, you look at, at, uh, cherubs and then you know the specifically like the two cherubs that we see in the story um and mm-hmm. you know there you have to argue that there is a like strong self-determination of gender and personality among cherubs um and huh. it's possible that cherubs who don't interact with humans like both caliborn and calliope did don't have such a strong conception of it but mm-hmm. it's clear that for example that like Caliborn is very, very, very big on being a boy. He's a oh yes. He you know he's a big he's a big strong boy with a pimp cane, and <laughs> and he he's he wants all of the he wants all of the saucy bitches to line up. Um, oh yes. and and you know stay in their place. And he finds a close affinity with the like with Jake and Dirk. Right? He has a yeah. He has a actual regard for them and a begrudging respect for them whereas he's actively 
like hideously dismissive of both Jane and Roxy. Um, oh yeah. And, you know, Calliope is not so hideously dismissive of anybody. She's even empathetic towards her own awful brother. Um, mm-hmm. But she she does have a closer connection with Jane and Roxy, right? Like, you know, she, she is absolutely friendly with both Jake and Dirk, um, but she mm-hmm. is closer to Jane and Roxy and specifically talks about how pretty they are and draws them. <laughs> yeah. That's um, another thing. Uh, Jane Callie Roxy also canon. It is. It's canon in post game. If you read that Snapchat story where they're all like, you know, calling so each cool. other honey and 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 you know, flirting and like rushing off to save Jane immediately, and you don't think oh, that's yeah. romantic, again, I gotta ask what your deal is. Come on, like also, you know, with that snap story, it isn't specifically related to Calliope this part, but I just really, really love the whole energy of Roxy tearing a strip off of the tablecloth, using a steak knife to carve it into a mask, and then going to go save her girlfriend. Yeah, she's gotta <laughs> she's gotta have the look down, dude. She's a superhero. <laughs> Yes. At the, uh, you know, at the, this is, the, we are definitely straying, but I do want to talk about this because post game Homestuck is a perfect setup for like a superhero universe. Cause that's basically what it is. Oh, it so is. They all have, they all have costumes. There's some recurring villains like still kicking around. Like, if that's the direction you want to head with it, there's a lot of different characters that could have their own like, you know, like Marvel style storylines. Oh, yeah. Homestuck Cinematic Universe, I'm here for it. The Homestuck Cinematic Universe. We will not rest until Viz Media gives it to us. <laughs> um, that's the real epilogue. That's the real epilogue, is the Homestuck Cinematic Universe. Lord English snaps. Lord English snaps. Dude, Lord... <laughs> you know, um... Traditional comics are, like, a super big influence on Homestuck. Um, mm-hmm. And this is not... It's it's unfortunate because this is the Calliope episode, but you we literally have to talk about Caliborn all the time. But I think yeah. I think it would be easy to argue that Thanos is a direct influence on Lord English and his portrayal. Yeah, <laughs> but we Definitely. can we can talk about that in the Caliborn episode. Oh gosh, there's a Caliborn episode. <laughs> there's going to be a Caliborn episode. I'm going to have I'm going to have Austin Vasterer on to talk about Caliborn <laughs> because he's the noted. He's a noted freelance Caliborn writer for hire. <laughs> um, and we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later because he wrote uh, Caliborn and, uh, and some other characters for Act Omega, which is a popular fan adventure that continues the story of Homestuck. Um, mm-hmm. And so look forward to that in the reader questions portion. Um, yeah. Let's see here. So we talked about space. We talked about the role of a muse. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, helplessness, right? Um, oh, yes. So, you know, we talked, like, Calliope is literally chained. Um, she literally has control over her own body half of the time. Yeah, exactly. Like, she's alienated from everything. Her she's, friends you know, that are so mean and awful. Yeah, he's... And saying all these horrible things. He's yeah, horrible. I he's horrible. I hate him. yeah. She's literally imprisoned with her brother, and it is a, in a comic with a lot of affecting themes of dysfunctional or outright abusive families, it's one of the most mm-hmm. affecting. Um, yeah. 
And it is a testament to the strength of her character that, you know, in our universe, in the main universe of the story, that Calliope does not become jaded by this, that Calliope does not become hopeless because of this, that she still yeah. remains kind and understanding while her brother is an unrepentant, just awful piece of shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in the end, uh, one of the most powerful messages delivered is live, just live. So let's let's start to talk about like looking forward, right? Since we 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 talked about you know epilogue, like there's more of this story to tell. Yeah, this there is a thing that was pointed out to me, and I have not gotten a restful night of sleep since. Yeah, at like clockwork on Twitter, it told me and brought it up that in the masterpiece part, um, Caliborn has the Void Ring. And the life ring and the void ring cannot be in existence at the same time. If one is in existence, the other has to be lost. So, um, Callie lost her ring. Yeah. And I am very worried about that. Mm -hmm. so, like, what? I need answers, Hussy, please. Absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, the most pessimistic read of Homestuck's future is that Caliborn wins. <laughs> yeah um which is which would be very unfortunate indeed uh, um but you know a more optimistic read of that is that uh like when when um Arania was killed uh by the condes uh the condes took the ring off and then snapped her neck to kill her so yeah. it's entirely possible that y you know that that uh, Calliope is still alive even without the ring um, but Hopefully. losing the ring is what lets Caliborn, you know, find the ring of void. Let's hope for that one, because that's a plus. Yeah, please. Because it would be a very tragic, it would be a very tragic ending for Calliope to not be allowed to live, as is, you know, yeah. the one the one description she gets. Um, there are so many things about Masterpiece that have me worried. <laughs> yeah, Masterpiece is really concerning. I think we as a fandom, we kind of don't, because it's like ugly and off-putting. Um, yeah, the pro that's the problem with understanding Homestuck is that you have to closely read everything Caliborn says, and it's presented yeah, in, a, in an actively reader hostile manner. Yeah, I, I don't like hearing what the garbage boy has to say, but I gotta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, there are so many things that are bad in Masterpiece. Where are the trolls? Are the beta kids seriously going to be trapped in a house for, like... A whole bunch of years. Uh-huh. Homestuck, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the name of the comic. Um, <laughs> um, house trapped. House trapped. Uh, so, the... Uh, I think this ties in, actually, into the future of the story, is that it's clear that cherubs play a large role in Hive Swap. Just yes. based on the fact that the core, th the core mechanic in this game involves a cherub artifact, um, mm -hmm. you know, an artifact like a juju with the key that has a compulsive effect on Joey, um, yeah, and was passed down in her family. So, like, why the fuck does Grandpa does Grandpa Jay Carly have a cherub portal to Alternia in the attic of his other house? 
I don't know. We don't know. I think what my very, very loosely based on reality theory is that it has something to do with his wife, A. Claire. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know anything about her at all. Right. I mean, it's unlikely because she is not, as so, so far as we know, related to any of the other Homestuck characters at all. We don't know where she comes from. But mm-hmm. that also could give the writers an opportunity to explain that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of unanswered questions regarding A. Claire, regarding Grandpa Harley. Um, and it really, honestly, like, we are in that exciting portion of Hive Swap where we have absolutely no fucking idea even what the shape of the beast here is. Like, oh, yeah. we have no idea, like, even in what structure this story is going to take place. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and anybody who says that they do know is lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, or they're either lying or they work on the game and are teasing us, you know, horribly, <laughs> which, which appears to be the primary job like benefit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's, yeah, like, you know, just constantly teasing us about which of our favorite trolls are twinks or not, instead of, you know, <laughs> while we all agonize over every plot detail. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I'm glad we got, let me just say, I'm glad we got Buff Gallic. Like, it's not my cup of tea, obviously. Um, yeah, same. But, like, you know, it, we've, we've had plenty of twink representation in Hive Swap so far. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, we, we gotta give, we gotta give the, the people who like their muscle boys a little bit of love. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. So, let's get to some of our uh, reader questions. Um. Let's see here. Uh, Hexa asks, what are your thoughts on the significance of the Ring of Life as Calliope gains it, being the final possessor of the ring? Um, And also Roxy's impact on Callie's story as a whole. So we talked about this a little bit, but let's talk specifically about the symbolism of the Ring of Life versus the Ring of Void. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, it strikes... The Ring of Void strikes me as a fairly direct reference, you know, when you include the invisibility to, like, the one ring from the Lord of the Rings. Um, and so, you know, and that is something that sort of takes ambition and twists it. Right. And that's a, that's a perfect example of like what Caliborn is like and, you know, what the Condess is like, who also bears that ring. Um, Mm -hmm. so the ring of life is the opposite of that, right? It's something that almost represents like the death of ambition. It it is it is it is a ring that requires humility. And you see Arania yeah. who is not even the littlest bit humble attempt oh, to wield yeah. it and it turns into a massive trash fire of a disaster, right? Mhm. You see Avriska yeah. who hasn't learned exactly why she wants to be alive for any reason other than self-glorification and heroism. Um like pursue that ring and not get it. Um, yeah, <laughs> and John had it for a while, mm-hmm. um, but he never wore it because he didn't really need it. Right. But I think, like John, I'm bad at boys' discourse. I don't mm-hmm. know things about boys, uh-huh. but <laughs> I, I feel like he's sort of the 
he's not a hope player, but in some ways he sort of represents that like hope and nostalgia from the very, very beginning of Homestuck when we were like, oh, where is this going to go? There's no place like home. Yeah, there's a little bit of a connection there as well. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think breath is. You know, I don't think breath, breath isn't hope, but it is hopeful. It is the effortless ability to bring positive change wherever you go. If breath yeah. is fully realized. Um, yeah. And, you know, in freely giving away this powerful artifact, like, that's a powerful statement of heroism from John. It's a powerful statement of heroism from Roxy for both yeah. of them to give it away. Um, mm-hmm. And for someone who is humble and who has no designs for living other than helping and loving and being with her friends, right? Like, that is the exact contrast of toxic ambition, right? It is... Yeah. The ring went to someone deserving in the end. Yeah. Thank you for the question, Hexa. Um, let's see. Uh, X-Teen Galmax asks on Twitter, choose oh, Calliope what? or alternate Calliope? Um, y- y- your feelings on this are pretty firm. Calliope. Yeah, Calliope. Yeah. Um, as someone, so I enjoy writing alternate Calliope uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like that, like sort of wise and mysterious energy that she brings, and I I like this exploration of like, what is this character like? If you know, oh, what yeah. is this very clever character like if she was ruthless, right? If she actually yeah. had the ability to kill her brother, um, and so I think they're, you know. In general, and I, I talk about this a little bit, but in general, with Homestuck's exploration of the ultimate self, I don't actually think a character versus an alternate version of themselves is like an interesting this or that comparison. To understand one, you have to understand the other. Um, yeah. But with a with with if X Teen puts a gun to my head and says I have to pick, then I'll pick regular Calliope. <laughs> yeah, and I do like alt Calliope. I like analyzing her and thinking about what the hell she's talking about and what the hell she by certain things but i find regular calliope a lot more relatable and a lot more fun and a little bit more interesting i think yeah. in lo- in the general scheme of things yeah absolutely um froggy aradia asks on twitter for us to discuss the scene with uh her jade and jane um and you know this is where they all make their troll sonas um, oh my god yeah so first off that's adorable <laughs> yeah that's so cute <laughs> we have to we have to put that on the table and say that that's absolutely adorable um and uh <laughs> um you know it takes place on a literal stage uh and that's interesting too because none of them put that stage there um yeah and it is the stage from the masterpiece uh Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, I wish I knew. Uh huh. I mean, okay. No, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and and you know just do some meta improvisation and say it is representative of them all being players on Caliborn's stage, right? The story mm. only exists because of Caliborn and his intense will to become Lord English and and you know play out the story across paradox space. Um. And, you know, that is where we learn about the retcon, right? That is that is where we learn about the effects of the retcon. That, yes. that conversation between Jane, Jade, and Calliope. Um, and, you know, it's something that couldn't have happened without 
Lord English, and it's something that is probably the most important part of the story. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for the muse of the story to be the one who discovers that information and presents it to the audience while being on a literal stage... Um, yeah. Is maybe maybe even a little on the nose as a metaphor goes for Homestuck standards. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's maybe a little not subtle. Um it's it like sets us up to think, okay, this is the these are dead players after game over. But no, it's actually asleep yeah. players, you know, after the retcon. Um yeah. after like John Terezi and a mostly unwitting Vriska save everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I when I was first reading that, I was so concerned. I was like, Hussy, please do not drag out the scene of like Jane dying. I cannot handle that. Please do not drag this out. Do not bring Calliope into this. I will cry like a little baby. Yeah. But then <laughs> there's I the... cry like a little baby in the end. Yeah. But that was mostly because it was happier than I thought. Absolutely. It ends up being like a triumphant moment. Yeah. And it's really funny because that triumphant moment is watching Vriska stride back into the stride back into the narrative, which is <laughs> which uh, let me let me just say, like, since Vriska is explicitly in text designed to like get to the audience, right? Like to you know, to oh, make yeah. you feel a polarized way. Hanging hanging that really important triumphant moment on this extremely polarizing character, like, striding back into the scene. Um, it's just oh, like, yes. good one, Hussy. Like, you really got us. Power move. <laughs> um, so let's see. We t- uh, Ken WRR asked on Twitter about uh, trans woman Calliope, and we actually talked about that earlier That's, in the show. It's true. Uh, yeah, and it's just a fact. She is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gumi uh, asks on our Discord... Uh, if there was one thing that you could change about Calliope's arc, what would it be? Mm. That's a hard one. It is. Um, I would want to have um, regular Alpha Calliope have more of a scene where she can interact with Caliborn and sort of more... Like, she does get her chance to, like, take a stand in the form of alt Calliope, but I wish that normal Calliope, quote, our Calliope, got that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that actually ties in to the next question that we got in our Discord, which was Carcalicious asks on our Discord. Um, <laughs> Carcalicious. <laughs> I actually, on the way to find this spooky D&D room, Fergalicious came on, I was shuffling random uh, songs on my Spotify, and that came on, and it almost gave me a heart attack. That's <laughs> a little story. <laughs> um, if you, have you read Act Omega? If so, what did you think of the Calliope and Caliborn chat? Um, have you read Act Omega, or am I gonna wing this solo? I have read parts of Act Omega several months ago. I do not remember this conversation. Okay, I'm gonna wing it then. Um, so, the, you know, Act Omega delivers us a lot of resolutions and character arcs that weren't in the main comic. Um, and one of them is a really powerful confrontation between Calliope and Caliborn. Um, where uh, Caliborn pretty much is his exact, like, you know, where they finally face each other face-to-face. Um, and Caliborn 
brags and brags and belittles and and insults Calliope, and something has just snapped. Oh wait, I think I do remember this. Hold up. <laughs> she a, kicks him in the balls. She does. She kicks him in the non-existent <laughs> balls. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I remember yeah. this now. And Calliope, instead of just rolling over and taking it and being passive, um, and you know, like like trying to find collaboration and cooperation, even with this awful person, it's just like. God, like you can't hurt me anymore, man. Like, like it is. Just like, give it up, right? Like, I am, I am past the point of giving a shit. Like, you actually, you actually cannot posture any harder. Like, I, I don't care. Like, you already killed me. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Like, you can't. You don't affect me anymore. You don't hurt me anymore. Um, and, and that's pretty much exactly what I wanted from canon. Yeah, so yeah, it is. So thank you, Mega, for being great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, so, so, uh, Caliborn's writing in that scene is excellent, because even with his dominant position, even with the material advantage, to continue the chess metaphor, he's still just blustering. He's still trying to prove something to somebody. He's still yeah. just acting out this route of, like, I am the big, strong, indomitable boy. Um... <laughs> I am the absolute lad. <laughs> yeah. um, absolute unit. The absolute unit. Um, and, you know, he's... He's, like, hilariously obtuse at, like, not realizing that, like, there's more to life than just winning, man. Yeah, that's the only and single thing that I like about Caliborn. He's hilarious. He's so dumb. He is so hilarious. I look. Uh, so, uh, you know, I do want to say, Caliborn is almost inspiring. In fact, he is inspiring. Um, is that, like, despite being just, like, a total shithead and just, like, an awful person, um, he literally, he just put his mind to achieving the impossible, and he, and he just did it. He just didn't, he just stone cold did not give a fuck hard enough that he ruled the universe for a while. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, you know, it's like... If you're looking to undertake a very difficult endeavor, then just, like, remember that if Caliborn could do it with his total lack of emotional maturity or intelligence or understanding, he just did it by feel. You can do yeah, it, too. Caliborn, Caliborn made Dave Pat Cannon with shitty anime. That's he did. pretty powerful. That is powerful. And so you can, you know what? Whatever you want to get done... Like, bring not a lot, not a lot of Caliborn energy, but bring just a pinch. A little bit. But just put a pinch of that special stardust right in, <laughs> right into your, to your personal ambitions. And recognize that, like, you can get a lot done with just a little pinch of Caliborn. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do when I have to study later. <laughs> you put a little bit of Caliborn energy into it? Oh yeah, I have four exams this week. You will become the best, just by virtue <laughs> Of knowing that you will one day be the best. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I know you brought some. You brought some notes to this endeavor. Is there oh, anything yeah. else? I had a notes document. Yeah. Um, let me pull that up real fast. So I'll let you run this segment. You just th throw some stuff out there. Here. Uh, <laughs> I had. She is the most important 
character in Homestuck, Gamzee, can fuck off, which <laughs> I believe is true. <laughs> um, she's a big dork. She really let everybody think she was a troll for several years. Yeah. Um, and... That's about it. Oh, oh she's left-handed. She is that's left-handed. That's a fact. And she's not sinister. She's sinister, but not sinister. <laughs> this is but this is this is good lefty representation. She's not evil. Um, yeah, but uh, that actually reminds me, lime blood. Yeah, she has oh lime blood. <laughs> what the fuck is lime blood? What the fuck does that mean? Why did all the lime blood trolls die? Do you have any? Do you have any yeah, thoughts about that's, this? That's the eternal question, isn't it? Yeah, like. Didn't they say something in canon or elsewhere? Or I think Calliope said it because it was because the Lime Bloods were really powerful. Yeah. And so some trolls were like, uh, can't have that, and then killed them all. I think mm-hmm. that's probably the most likely explanation, but the nature of those powers is incredibly interesting to me. Like, what is the deal? Details of the- I'm going to read some, some Calliope text, and I'm not going to do a British accent, so sorry, listeners. Um <laughs> Details of the genocide are historically murky. It's one of those maddening voids in my understanding of your elaborate epic. But I have speculated their extermination had to do with their extremely powerful abilities that they tended to have, and the threat to authority they represented, even more so than other powerful lowbloods. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, our only example of anything to do with Limebloods, other than Calliope, uh, who's not a troll... Is Carcat. Is Carcat, right. Carcat and the Sufferer. Um, yeah. And they, you know, they were explicitly blood players. Like, they, while not being physically imposing or powerful, had a they massive... They knew how to, like, inspire people. Exactly. They had a massive social impact. Um, and one of the core themes of Homestuck is that it is not physical strength so much as social strength that is necessary for dismantling evil systems. Um Absolutely. And so if the power of Limebloods is just a social power, that's just, mm-hmm. that's scarier than psionics to, you know, to a, yeah. to an oppressive society. That's scarier than Vriska, because the people in that situation being subject to the power actually mean it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, so that's, like, Homestuck's a powerful argument for sincerity, and I wouldn't be shocked if... if, like, the, the power of Limebloods was just to get people to listen to them and empathize with each other just by their presence mm-hmm. yeah Since, you that know, that would explain like the whole why the sufferer was able to do that yeah despite exactly. probably not being the only person to ever think hmm maybe this is bad yeah and we see <laughs> you know we see later in the friend sims with you know like with or our hive swap with you know damic and tizius and a, yeah. a bunch of other characters that appear to be fomenting a, a sort of revolution uh that Mm-hmm. You know, they're still inspired by the sufferer's message. Um, and I'm definitely interested yeah. in seeing further, like, what is the understanding of the sufferer in modern Alternia? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the Alternia contemporary to Hive Swap. And also, is the secret Lime Bloods theory real? Like, is that what they're hiding in the brooding caverns? Perhaps. Um, oh, I hope so. And that would also tie into how are cherubs involved in. Uh, you know, in Hive Swap, like, what is with the cherub mm-hmm. motifs, if that's what's going on as well. Um, mm-hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to, to get to? Uh, 
Calliope good. That's all I can say. Calliope very good. Well, that's our show. Um, that is, wow. th- that is episode that four of the Perfectly Generic podcast. Um, Becca, where can people follow you? All right. So I am on Twitter complaining constantly at Laura Vera, L-O-R-A-V-U-R-A. And people need to stop pronouncing it like Laura Vora because it, it makes it sound like vor and that's bad. This is a no so. vor zone. <laughs> I talk about girls and how great they are and how gay I am for them. So that's mostly what I do. These are good topics. And I also have a fanfic that I'm writing that is Rosemary-centric that is linked in that, my Twitter bio, and you should read it. Yes, you um, should. It's it's. I haven't updated it in a while, but I'm planning to. <laughs> a big mood. So that's a little <laughs> ominous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I don't think I've posted a fic this month. I've been doing this thing and also like a job. It's complicated. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I got into college and college, you know, is a real murderer of fic. It is. It is. Employment and college are the great fic killers. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So you can follow me at gamblignant8. There's an there's an in in there where you wouldn't expect. Just think about it really hard. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's my that's my Homestuck account. You can follow my main at Kate Mitchell OW. But now I really it, I really can't recommend it. I'm not allowed to tweet anything <laughs> interesting there anymore. Um, you can head to perfectlygenericpodcast.com to take a look at our podcast episodes, listen to our past ones. Twitter.com/slash/pgenpod. P-G-E-N-P-O-D. Uh, you can also find a link to our Discord there. Uh, Discord's the best way to get in touch and, you know, ask questions for future episodes. Um, and you can also find us on the iTunes podcast listing or in your favorite uh, podcast app. Uh, please give us a rating in iTunes or on your favorite app. Uh, it'd be, you know, it will help us reach more people. Um, yeah. Next week, I have no fucking idea who's going to be on or what we're going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> um... So tune in for that fun surprise. Yeah, so so follow the podcast on Twitter so you can find out exactly what we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> let's see. I did the music for this episode. Uh, the introduction is Thanks, which is the unofficial theme of the podcast. Uh, and this outro is Muse. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And Becca, thank you so much for coming on. It's been fun. Good night, everybody. Stan Calliope. Yep. <laughs>